The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. It's a big honor to be on your radar. Thank you for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. Jerry Vivino is our special guest on this episode, an artist of much versatility. He is a saxophonist, woodwind player, sometimes vocalist. He's a composer, live performer, producer, and recording artist. So who is Jerry Vivino? Well, many of you have seen him performing with the basic cable band for the late-night TV talk show host Conan O'Brien's house band. Or other of you hipper people out there in our audience might know him as the band leader of the Jerry Vivino Quartet. Their latest album, Coast to Coast, has received great acclaim. He's also the brother of past guest Jimmy Vivino. Jerry Vivino, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So I'm hoping you can kind of paint a picture with words. What would you say that someone would see or hear on any random day in the Vivino household when you were growing up? A lot of, uh, well, well, you would, you left out one important factor here. What would we, what would the aroma be from the kitchen? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you would, um, obviously your, your question is pertaining to music. Well, you could hear, you could hear classical music coming from my mom. You could hear, uh, meaning op- she loved opera and, uh, symphonic music, um, my my dad was a lover of jazz. He basically filled our house when we were, from when we were little kids with anything from Louis Armstrong to Louis Prima to Burt Kempfert, believe it or not. You know, the late the remember the Burt Kempfert Orchestra and um Oh yeah. Of course you do. You know, which was I guess smooth jazz of that generation. Would that be a good way to um to define that that Era? Maybe, maybe that's what it was before it was called that. I think you may be right on with that. And, uh, of course, my older brother Floyd was into Spike Lee and, you know, uh, honky-tonk piano music, um, the likes of Pinky Lee. And um, he, he also loved Motown. Floyd, our older brother, Uncle Floyd, was really into um, – into Motown, and we would hear that coming from his room. My brother Jimmy, his bedroom would feature, you know, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, classic rock, Sly and the Family Stone. Both of us were sharing that, and out of my room was basically John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, Ella Fitzgerald. So we had it all going on, you know, from Tony Bennett to Ella to... Hendrix, does that paint a good picture of what was going on in the house? It sounds like a, a cornucopia yeah. of stuff, but the best stuff. Well, it was great stuff, yeah. <laughs> but adding, can I add just one more thing to that? When when I was probably 15 or 16, my brother Floyd knew that I was really in love with the saxophone already. And he said, you know, you're always listening to Train. You're always listening to Charlie Parker. He goes, you ever hear this guy? And he played me uh, some cuts of Sam Butera, 
who was uh, Louis Prima's saxophonist, and Sam Butera and the Witnesses was a band that Louis adopted, and then it became Louis and Keeley and Sam Butera and the Witnesses. And, you know, it's funny how, you know, I embraced it with open arms, and I said, wow, this is different, I really dig it. And then later in life, I really got to appreciate what some of the R&B saxophonists were doing, you know, from Sam Butera to Junior Walker, and, you know, flutists like Ian Anderson, as opposed to Hubert Laws and Jean-Pierre Rampal and then Galway. I started to appreciate different genres of woodwind playing, and I think it helped me. And then, of course, I got to meet Sam, play with Sam, and um, I became Sam when I worked with Keeley for seven years. She, I was her Sam Butera. But it's just interesting how my older brother, who really was not into jazz. He was into jump blues. He was into Illinois Jaquette and, you know, Sam Butera, Boots Randolph. And I really didn't realize until later in life that everybody has something to say. So there you go. Interesting stuff. Yeah. What was it or what is it about jazz that you find so appealing? The creativity, the spontaneity of a band being on stage when my quartet plays, you know, we usually end the night and we kind of look at each other and say, we had a few nice dialogues going on. It's basically, you know, you play, you listen, you respond, just like you and I are talking. You're not interrupting me now, I'm talking. If you're being interrupted, someone's not listening, right? So it's really, I, I, I love the conversation of jazz music and you know you can you can play a tune five times on five different nights and it's it comes out different it's it's basically the same song but in the end it's point a to point b is always a different route and i really love that it's it's uh it gives me a feeling of elation and uh you know admiration for my colleagues on stage and um and how we're how we're working together without charts i guess that's why i love jazz so much i love what you're saying there well i hope you understand i hope your listeners understand that i'm sure they do well you're doing a good job of explaining it to them but you know something that occurred to me you were saying you know i'm not interrupting you for example, I, I was I was listening to what you were saying, and I guess if you're not talking or you're not playing, you're listening. Listening is an art, isn't it? It is an art, and, and, you know, playing is an art, too. And, you know, when I was about 15 years old, I was I got into Stan Getz big time. And I wasn't even really, I was a clarinetist. I just had started the saxophone, and my father said to me, hey, listen to this guy, listen to that guy, listen to the melody, listen to what they have to say. And back in that day, seeing that I'm, I just turned 66, so we're talking, I was born in 54, so we're talking, you know, 1969, let's say. I didn't have CDs or streaming. I bought a record. I opened it up. I read the liner notes, and I would be listening, and I would be admiring not only the artist, the featured artist, but I'd say, who are, who are his sidemen? Wow, listen to that bass player. Who is it? And I'd see who it is. And drummer, same thing. But Stan gets in one of his records, in the liner notes, 
He said something that I read, and it stuck with me forever. He goes, um, the, the secret to a good improvisational solo is knowing what not to play. And sometimes a two-beat rest is just as important as eight sixteenth notes. You don't have to fill every space. That space is music. Resting is music. You know, you can, you can speak volumes with a few words sometimes. Or sometimes you need to say a lot of words, you know, and that's basically stuck with me. And um, did I answer the question pretty much? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. I want to say hello to one of our supporters and listeners who is a big Vivino Brothers fan, the professor, Chris Rinaldo. And he always talks about Uncle Floyd. And so I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit more about him. He's quite a character. Um, he's our older brother. When you say he's quite a character, he's quite a lot of characters. He's a he's a comic who, you know, is basically, you know, the Uncle Floyd show originally was a skit show. He had, you know, so many different characters and his cast members contributed a lot to that as well. And he wrote his own material we used to do live shows with him the uncle floyd show we'd work all kinds of clubs all over the country and um it was always quite successful his following was a little bit you know they were they were really underground believers in not mainstream tv but they came from soupy sales and you know and people like soupy would be at his at my brother's shows you know and then he attracted an audience not only of people who like to make believe it was Halloween every day, so to speak, but we we did gigs where, you know, David Bowie and John Lennon were in the audience. Paul Simon, Cindy Lauper, the list goes on. They all went on the Uncle Floyd show too. It was an underground show that he made his bones with it and um he's still going. He's more of an Italian comic today. He's our older brother, so if I'm 66, he's a little closer to 70 than I am. <laughs> but an amazing talent also, a great piano player in his own right. He's played stride honky-tonk piano. He's been compared to Liberace and uh, Pinky Lee and uh, Floyd Kramer. He's not a jazz musician as we know it, you know, as we define jazz, but he has big ears and loves music. He, he he sings a little bit and does comedy tunes. And he speaks fluent Italian out of all of us. He picked it up from my grandmother. He has an Italian-American column in the, in the Italian Tribune newspaper, which is hysterical. And um, he has a radio show on WFDU, which is drive time, and it's doing fantastic. And he still goes out and does stand-up gigs. He's all over the place, from Italian festivals to, you know, he'll work for the police department. He'll do. It. Floyd always says, Elks Hall, Carnegie Hall, what's the difference? I get cash at the Elks Hall, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, he's, he's an amazing guy. We love him and um, still going strong. And he's an he's a, a amazing chef as well. So... Anything that I leave out? <laughs> you gave a, a good a, a good picture there of this this man well, Floyd. Well, you know he 
When we were kids, me, Jimmy, and Floyd, Floyd, he really wanted us to be, he'd, he'd stage shows with us. And Jerry, you're Larry, Jimmy, you're Mo, I'm Curly. You know, he, 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 we would be the Three Stooges. We could be the Benny Hill show. He, you know, whatever it was, he, he created these little shows and we were reluctant, but we had, we would do it and we actually had a good time performing with him in our backyard, so to speak, you know, and, um, he really wanted us to be, he wished we were a comedy team, the three of us. In fact, we tap danced. He wanted us to tap dance. He said, let's do an act. And we ended, we ended up tap dancing at the World's Fair in 1964. Can you believe that? Fascinating. And, yeah. And basically me and Jimmy just, we went different ways. And um, it was the route you take, you know, when you have talent, you know, and you, and you realize you want to do something with it. It's really the route you take that will bring you to what what you where you want to be and floyd wants to be a comic and me and jimmy want to be musicians you know not that i can't be funny or jimmy can't be funny or floyd's not a musician but you you get the gist of it yeah so let's talk about this album coast to coast it's great music was there a guiding thought or a, a, an, an inspiration that that put this album together absolutely my back to my my pop again my father if your listeners don't know who bucky pizzarelli is he's still with us they certainly know john pizzarelli his son who's a, a marvelous singer guitar player performer he's basically from that rat pack school with a guitar but he's a you know bucky bucky pizzarelli um grew up with my father my father, if he were alive today, would be the same age as Bucky. And um, when I cut this record, Bucky was 91. It came out, he was 92. He's pushing 94 now. But when people ask me how old Bucky is, I always tell him he's 39. That, that, that was my orders. He does the <laughs> Jack Benny on us, you know. But um, what happened was Martin Pizzarelli, the bass player of the Pizzarelli family, he and I were doing a few projects together, and I was in California, and Martin's in, in uh, New Jersey, and I had found out that Bucky was not doing so well. He had a couple of mini strokes, and that Martin was taking a hiatus from the John Pizzarelli trio, and he was going to you know, hang with, hang, with, hang with mom and dad and take care of business and help them out, which he was doing. So I called the house the Pizzarelli house in New Jersey. And I said, Hey, you know, it's been a few weeks since I heard your pop was in the hospital. How's he doing? And he, Bucky grew up with my father. So I've, I've known Bucky since I was 10 years old. And, um, Martin said, Jerry, he's right here. He wants to talk to you. So we started chatting and he goes, when are we going to play together? And I said, you're ready. Are you up for that? He goes, <laughs> yeah. What do you want to do? I said, well, I'd, I'd love to record a few tracks with you. And he goes, tell me when and where and let's do it. And this may be the last recording, the, the tracks that he played on Coast to Coast. I'm pretty sure it's his last recording. And, you know, he's he's just not playing anymore now. His fingers are, you know, arthritic a little bit and he has some issues. Plays at home and he's, uh, 
I go and visit him. He's sharp as a tack, you know, but he's up there now, you know. And um, so I just said, let me do this. I went in the studio with Bucky, and I brought Martin in, and I brought a pianist named Ken Levinsky, who was one of the original pianists with John Pizzarelli, and he knows the Pizzarelli family very well. And I brought in a, a great drummer named Carl Latham, who's my drummer on the East Coast pretty much. When I say pretty much, I do hire different people if Carl's not available, but he's my first call. Let's put it to you that way. So we went in, and I said to Bucky, what do you want to play? And he said, I want to play Body and Soul and Honeysuckle Rose. And I said, only if you do one more tune. I have a I have a tune that I wrote years ago, and I think it'd be perfect for this, for you. And now I have a title for it, and we're going to call it Patterson. And that's where Bucky and uh, my father grew up. So we went in the studio, cut the tracks. We had lunch. I listened back on my way back to California, and I said, wow, I really like what we did. I'm going to continue this project. But I wasn't going to be back east for another couple months, so I cut more tracks in California with West Coast musicians. Then I went back to New York and cut a few more tracks, not with Bucky anymore, with a couple other guys. And I decided to um, I finished my West Coast tracks, and I needed a few more tracks. And I decided to pull some archives that I cut with the late, great Lou Soloff that I remixed and put out there, and they're on the album. So I, to me, this is a dream come true record. I have so many great friends on it from both coasts, and I've been, I've been bi-coastal now for 12 years. So I've met, met so many great musicians and played with on the West Coast, and of course my my roots are on the East Coast. So this record exemplifies who I am, coast to coast. There you go. Bucky Pizzarelli is just such a a, a great guitar player, and mm-hmm. he was a guest on this show. And I'm hoping you can tell us just because I mean, for anyone who wants to go listen to that interview, they can, but. Almost everything he said, he kind of chuckled after he would say it. And I'm hoping you can tell us about the essence of this man, Bucky Pizzarelli, one of the great American musicians. Well, I think that the humility is surrounds him, humbleness. If if you if you if you ever went to his house and he he got to the point where he was really comfortable with you and you got him to open up the albums of photos and he brings you into the music room where he's got pictures of him with Benny Goodman playing, you know, music, actually shots from stage, you know, pictures of him with Zoot Sims. Uh, It's just goes, I I could, you know, the man has an incredible talent and an an incredible history and uh, resume of recordings. He he was on The Wanderer. He was on Runaround Sue with Dion and the Belmonts, you know, and then he's playing with Benny Goodman. So when you look at that, and I, and you know, I, I basically know that John and, and Martin to the point where, and Mary, the daughter, who's also a great musician, you know, and I, and I, I could, and, and they open up to me and like when Zoot Sims died, um, 
you know, the Bucky sent me the memorial program, you know, of, of Zoot. I said, Jerry, I know you loved Zoot. You might want this. And, and, you know, he's the type of guy that if you go and visit him, you could four hours later, you think you're only there for half an hour. You know, he's just, he's an artist as well. Like Tony Bennett is Bucky does oil paintings. He's just an incredible guy. And, you know, he always said to me when I was a kid, your father should play your father. My father was a really good trumpet player who um, did not go into music based on, you know, but he played when he was 18, 19, 20 years old before the war, before he was drafted, he was playing with guys like Bucky, you know, and Patterson at the ballroom. Uh, and, and when the war ended and he came out, he um, decided to go to work with his father and build homes. But my father's passion for music always came first, but he didn't take that step. And I think what he did was he made, when he saw that me and my brothers had the talent, because you have to have something in you and you have to have the desire and the passion and the discipline to put the hours in and practice. He let us go for it. And basically we found out later, his parents really didn't understand immigrants from Patterson. My father did express that he wanted to be a musician when he was 19, 20. And they were like, you're not, you, you're going to be with us. We need you on the job, you know? And that's the way it was back then. But you know, he didn't, he wasn't going to rebel. And, um, but he probably wished he did. But I say to him, dad, if you did that, you wouldn't be telling me this because I wouldn't be here. You'd have never met mom. So there's a silver lining in every dark cloud. And, um, Bucky encouraged his boys to, to go into music when he saw that they had the, the passion, the talent and look there, Martin's very successful bass player and John's a star, you know, and he's very proud of his sons as well, you know. Yeah, you, you get the gist of things? Perfect. With, with the Pizzarellis? Yeah. And my brother Floyd has worked with Bucky. He's opened for Jimmy Roselli and Italian Comics, and Bucky would be in the band, and, you know, all these musicians would always, might see him later, your brother's cracking us up. My God, he's so funny, you know. And, and my brother would never tell me. I said, you didn't tell me you were with Jerry Vale or open for for uh, Jimmy Roselli and, you know, yeah. He goes, yeah, well, you know, they all say hello to you. It's that simple. A lot of these, these names that have been mentioned on this episode, they're the all time greatest singers, you know, Keely, of course, Keely Smith. Oh, Keely. Yeah. And Tony Bennett. And you've had the chance yeah. to work with these people. All of them. Yes. Keely was my favorite. I got to say. Because she let that, that's, I was, I said I was the Sam Butera. Man, did I get to play on her gigs. You know, she became, I was the go-to guy. You know, it was, you know, hand Jerry the ball, he's going in for the touchdown. You know, and you don't really get that when you're a side man. Like, I work with Johnny Mathis to this day. I'm doing a concert. I'm booked on a couple things in March and April with him. And it's a joy to be up there with a full orchestra and to have Johnny Mathis standing five feet in front of you, and you could hear a pin drop, and he sings ballad after ballad. And there's, it, it's just, it's so, at, at 83, he still sounds great and sings everything in the original key. Keely was like that. She was a female version of, I'm going to sing the tunes that 
made me and I'm going to keep the key the same. And if I can't do it anymore, it's time to say thank you very much. You know, she loved musicians. I love working with artists that love musicians and respect who's behind them on that stage. And, you know, there's, there's quite a few that are like that, but there's quite a few that aren't. So, you know, they, they take their stardom and the spotlight goes all over the stage, not just on them. And um, that's why with, with Keely, I, I couldn't wait to get to work. And when the gig run was over, like we'd do two, three weeks or we'd go to Chicago for two days. And I'd always be like, wow, I hope I get called again. You know, I can't wait till the next run. But, you know, they, um, Sinatra I never played with. Tony Bennett, basically, I played with him on television a lot. Just another fantastic, I love musicians type of a guy. And they understand that they are where they are based on who's, who's behind them, you know. Darlene Love is like that, too. I work with her quite a lot. She has that also, yeah. Whereas others don't, you know? Well, not just limited to music. You've had the chance to encounter a lot of very iconic people. Who would you say is the nicest that you've encountered? When you say people, the nicest person I've ever... People in, in the business, because you seem like a nice guy. I've encountered you right now. That's how I... You know, I... I, uh, my mother-in-law is the sweetest woman on the, on, on, on earth. You know, I just don't, but as far as showbiz people, whether it's an actor, whether it's a musician, boy, there's Dion DiMucci from Dion and the Belmonts. Tom Hanks, we met him on Conan and he was just uh, unbelievably nice to everybody. You know, sometimes they would come out and make it a point to come to the band room at the end of the show and, and say hello and or before the show. Some amazing stars would be introducing themselves to the Conan band. Hey guys, you guys sound great. I'm you know what? You're who? You're you're Sylvester Stallone? Really? We know that. No, he was another one who was super, super nice. Athletes, movie stars, television stars. Rock stars, humble, there's humility, there's, you know, Bruce Springsteen, one of the nicest guys I've ever worked with. So nice. Whether I'm in the studio with him or on stage, he gives it its all, his all all the time. And um, you feel like, wow, I want to work for this guy. That's what, the, that's what the musicians that are really nice, you want to work even harder for them. You want to really do a great job and be there and pay attention 110% of the time, as opposed to a hundred, you know, someone, someone that may be a little bit uh, coarse or whatever, you might just give them a hundred percent, but we always give a hundred percent. Yeah. I know I left a lot of people out. I'm sorry. There's so many of you beautiful people out there, but uh, <laughs> that's just off the top of my head right now. Something that I heard again and again from the musicians on the old Letterman show. Mm -hmm. Everybody always said, Dave loved the band. <laughs> and so I'm curious because so many of the listeners recognize you and they recognize Jimmy from Conan O'Brien. Conan, 
how did Conan view the musicians in the band? How did what did he think of the band? Conan wanted to deep down wants to be a musician. He loves music. He loves each and every one of us. But Conan, even though the show has changed, it was heartbreaking to him. We we know, and the listeners know, that even though I'm still on the Conan show, Jimmy in a much larger capacity than the rest of us, we're booked on a few things with Conan. He 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 invites us to every every little party they have at the show. Um he hugs us. He's 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 got us back. We're doing Comic Con again. We'll go out and do one nighters with him. He's talking about running out with the band again and doing a few nights with him playing guitar and singing, which we did a tour with him. We watched him grow as a musician from the very first show. He would just sit there and watch us warm up and talk to us and tell us he's learning the guitar. And Jimmy got him a teacher to help him. And he started playing along with us. And when they, when the band would convene for the shows, this went on for 25 plus years, by the way, what I'm going to tell you, Conan would have the band on. We had a certain time where we would rehearse in the band room and then he'd want us on stage and we would be on the floor. Let's say if the show was going to be taping it from five to six, we'd be on the floor at one thirty, and they'd be running comedy bits and the writers might say, we want music here, we want this, we want that. And then there would be a guitar set up in front of the bandstand. A tech person would have it on a stand and a microphone. And they'd do their comedy, and then Conan would have a little talk. We'd be watching. He'd have a little talk with the comedy writers, and he'd say, go back to the war room, tweak this, get rid of that. This is too long. Come back in 15 minutes, and let's do it again. Well, what would happen during those 15 minutes? <laughs> Conan would come over, grab the guitar. Hey, guys, what do you want to play? We'd run a bunch of tunes with him. We'd have the time of our life with him. He'd be singing Elvis tunes, rockabilly tunes. He would just he, he just loved it. He, he loved hanging with us. And we were like his music minus one track in a way. And um, this went on, I'm not kidding all the time and we watched him get better and better and better to the point where man he's really a damn good guitarist and an entertainer <laughs> and you know people like jack white would come on the show and all of a sudden he'd be on stage we would be backing a, a band that would come in and jimmy would say hey you know why don't we get conan to play too and the and the artist would say this is great yes there's a there's you, if you go to team coco you can find those videos I just go put in the basic cable band or Max Weinberg seven or whatever Conan with the band. And, and uh, you'll see things from New York all the way through Los Angeles and you'll understand. And you might even see that growth, like, you know, to the point where, you know, he can play with the Allman brothers a little bit. You know, this guy can play with the Neville brothers. He can play, certainly can play with the Vivino brothers. That's for sure. And that's that's Conan O'Brien knew everyone's name, but not only the musicians. He's the type of guy that it could be it could be a um, a lighting person. He knows their name. He he'd stop and talk to them. How's your day going? He really cares about people. Someone that would be sweeping up the studio. He same thing. It could be the it could be a maintenance guy, and he knows who they are. And if how's your family? How's that grandkid? How's How's your wife feeling? 
He just had a way of really making everyone feel like a family on that show. And I miss it. I really do. I miss the, you know, the change is good because now I'm doing other things, but I miss the, the, the camaraderie of the routine. It's like when an athlete retires, they can't play the game anymore. It's time to go. And what do they miss most? They don't miss hitting the home run. They miss the people that they're <laughs> with. That's my feeling anyway, you know, although they still want to hit the home run, I'm sure, you know, yeah. That is so cool. I, I, yeah, he's amazing. Amazing guy, really is. So when when I mention Conan O'Brien, mm -hmm. what song comes to your mind? With Conan O'Brien? Yeah. Any Elvis tune. <laughs> Anybody Holly tune. <laughs> that's, his, that's his love, you know. Uh, it's just like, you know, he loves that 50s, 60s music you know but you know what is the what is the jack white tune uh, uh seventh nation army something like that that you know the one i'm talking about yeah they yeah. play I, I i may have the title wrong forgive me everyone but uh all your young folks listening he likes that you know he loves he loves music i'm telling you he really does he loves the beatles and you know we'd, we'd catch him you know with guitar on his lap Playing, playing here, there, and everywhere, you know, to him sit alone, you know, and, and just um, great, really a great music lover. He tap danced too, he told me when he knew they found out that me and Jimmy were tap dancing at the World's Fair and they ran that clip uh, <laughs> while we we're in New York. And then he said, you know, I tap danced too. <laughs> no shame in that. <laughs> no. No. Can you tell us about maybe a musician or a singer or something that was a guest on Conan that really surprised you? Surprised me in a way like, wow, this person's great, or who is this? It surprised me in what way? How would you say? Well, sometimes, you know, just... It, it blew me away, or it just... Yeah, like... like or, or, well, someone, I, I mean, you know, like Tony Bennett surprised me when he turned 90 and was still singing his ass off, you know? Yeah. Can I say that? Oh yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? That's 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 one type of surprise. And another is, like I said before, a person like Johnny Mathis at 83 still hitting all the same notes that he hit when he was 23. You know? But I I think surprise is is, you know, I expect people that come on television shows that I know who they are. I expect stellar performances you know i always liked ricky lee jones and she came on the show and and um i was like this is cool man because i had her records when i was young i liked you know walter beck would produce a lot of her records early on and um you know chuck is in love and all chucky's in love and you know flying cowboys those records i i got into her because you know we listened to the radio so much fm radio growing up and I listen to all different stations, not just jazz. You know, believe me, I, I wear many hats. And as much as my passion is jazz, but my love is music, period. So, you know, I basically would say, wow, this is great. There's saxophone solos on whoever that when she broke. And it was Bob Shepard and Michael Brecker, just like with James Taylor and Michael Franks. 
you know, David Sanborn and Michael Brecker were all over those records. I was 22, 23 years old, and I'd hear a new artist, and I'd say, I'd be listening to the tune, say, this is great, and then this amazing saxophone's pop solo would come on, and I'd, I'd go get the record just to see who it was. And again, I'm back to my vinyl and my liner notes, you know. But surprising, ah, that's hard to, it's such a tough one. You know, I don't, I can't honestly answer that because I, no one failed. Everyone that I, that came on, I was not, I was not surprised. I was pretty much, yeah, this is who it is. And they're still, they still got it, you know. Wish I could answer you better than that. <laughs> well, I'll just tell you, as a personal confession, one time I had judged this this young pop singer, and uh, I thought, oh, she's she's just a you know, oh, she's a pop singer. I will, I'm not going to like this. And boy, I just really I, I felt so ashamed because she was so good, oh. you know. <laughs> okay, now now the question. <laughs> I can answer your question, and thank you. But go ahead, finish your thought. Oh, well, you know, I thought I could have taken the chicken way out and not uh, not tell her, but I told her, and it really made her day. I said, wow, this was so good, and I have to say, I I wasn't thinking, I, I totally misjudged you. And she said she appreciated that, <laughs> that I was honest. Well, I didn't misjudge. I was, I was, I, when I heard the person I'm going to mention to you, I wasn't expecting this because their father was so different. And when I tell you who the artist was, is that we could say surprised me. But I will say this, they floored me. You'll know who his father is when I say who he is. A.J. Croce. He came on Conan and we were like, oh, Jim Croce's son. Oh, what's this going to be? You know, and I was thinking, you know, oh, he'll be like his pop or, you know, he came out playing the B3 and singing like, you know, Jim Croce, his father, meets meets Mac Rebinek, meets, um, you know, rhythm and blues, real gut, real earthy, Aaron. He, he had it all going on. He had he had what he had the roots thing big time and his band was smoking. You know, we shook our head when he was done. The whole band, we said, man, this this is killing but it wasn't the people didn't embrace it. It was, you know, it was Green Day and, you know, Cheryl Crow was coming on. She's another one. Great. You know, when she came on, she was no one knew who she was. But, you know, it was it the timing for A.J. Croce, in my opinion, was not there for him because he's as good as he gets. And I don't know what he's doing now, to be honest with you. Although I know there's a club in San Diego called Croce's that he and his mom run. And um, that's all I know. But he bl it blew me away. Super talent, good good music, good organ player. You know, Joe Cocker is another flavor that he put out there. But it w in the end, it was you put all of that together, and it's AJ Croce. Check it out, folks. I'm sure, there's something out there on Spotify for free. <laughs> <laughs> So much of this interview has been about family, in different families, your family, the Pizzarelli family. But for the Vivinos, the family affair in music 
it's continuing. I'm hoping you can tell us about, as you said, another hat that you wear, and that's producer of the Vivino Sisters. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's my proudest accomplishment. Well, there's a CD out called DNA, the Vivino Sisters. I have three very talented daughters, and my brother Jimmy always says, you got, you got it all. None of, the, none of the other kids have it. You, Jerry, you took all the music genes. You know? <laughs> anyway, I'm very, very proud of them. My oldest daughter, Donna, is now right now is out on a national tour of Cats. She's playing Griselda. Um, that's the big cat who sings Memories, the older cat in the show, I guess. If you're not a fan of a musical, you're not a fan, but there's a lot of talent on in Cabaret and Broadway, big-time talent. Anyone, like like I wear different hats, I respect everything. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, Broadway is not my thing, but when I go to a show, I recognize talent and I, I definitely recognized that my three daughters have it, it, capital I, capital T. My middle one, Natalia, she's currently on tour with Wicked as Alphaba. She's a standby for Alphaba right now. And um, the standby is, which this, this educated me, the um, standby is someone who comes in. It's not the understudy. And I thought the understudy was the one that goes on when the when the first call isn't able to go on or wants time off or whatever. But it's not that way. The standby is there every night ready to go on at a, at a moment's notice. John Coltrane, too, one of my favorites, moment's notice. But anyway, I had to throw that in. Sorry. But anyway, Natalia uh, is loving it. She she took off in August for the tour. Right now, she's in Charlotte, North Charlotte, South Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. North Carolina. She yeah, she's in Charlotte, North Carolina. My geography is a little off there, and um, she's gone on numerous times. And she's in fact, she's doing a week in April. My wife and I are going to go out and see her. She's doing a full week, and you know, basically, my daughter Donna who was the original Cosette in Les Mis as a little kid, she was a standby for Wicked on a national tour. And there's always never, it's never a sure thing, but the standby usually takes the role over when the national tour first call moves to Broadway. And then they, you know, it's like, it's a process. It's almost, I notice it's like A ball, double A, triple A. If you know what I mean by that, folks, that's baseball talk. Okay, you're in the minor leagues, and then Broadway is the majors. But if you if you're a standby on Broadway for a leading part, you're you're on the bench, but you're going to play a lot, you know. And standby on the national tour is the same thing. You're on the bench, but you're going to see a lot of action. She's loving it, having a, doing a great job with it. And just to explain further, the understudy is someone who's in the ensemble of a show. And in case the standby can't go on, then the understudy, it's like the third string catcher, okay? So that's where she's at. And then my little one, who's going to be 21 this Sunday, she has, out of high school, has been on tour with numerous shows. She hasn't stopped working. She's doing Frozen right now at the Hyperion Theater in Anaheim. 
but she takes Disney, lets her off, and she goes and does the music man, West Side Story. She just did Heather's and played uh, played the lead in Heather's. They're just they're just full of music, and I decided I got to do something with the three of them. And this record features all three of them as soloists and together. And my daughter Natalia wrote a few tunes. She's a songwriter as well, and um, I co-wrote one of them with her. We have people like Larry Hockman um, and uh, Maury Estin involved with the project who wrote a couple of tunes for them. Mark Shaman is a big fan of the girls. It's great. They're, they're stuck in the business. Unfortunately, I can't stop them. Not that I want to stop them, but it's an insecure business. But again, if you have the passion and the heart and the desire, you're going to do fine. Don't give up your dream. But how, how great that you're all able to make something together like that. Yeah. I also got my wife on this record. Who's, she's a classical flutist huh. and flautist. And uh, I put her on a couple of tunes. We, we have um, some of the ensembles. A couple of the tunes are four or five pieces, and some are nine, ten pieces, you know. And um, Jimmy is involved with two tunes, and he did an arrangement for a tune called Be Cool, a really cool arrangement on that one. And uh, it's just, it's a really good record. Check it out. Some great, great musicians, mostly recorded on the West Coast, some of it on the East, but very little. Mostly a West Coast project. Yeah. Oh, the listeners, they can check out vivinosisters.com and they'll find it. Yeah. And you can, you can just basically, that it's available for streaming. It's on CD Baby. All of our records are on CD Baby and streaming, Spotify, and all that, so you can check it out. And I think if you put the vino up, you'll see anything from me and Jimmy together. Jimmy is a soloist. Me is a soloist. The Uncle Floyd album might pop up. My daughter's. My daughter Donna has a solo album that came out a few years ago, which did very well. But the three of them together now, to me, is a dream come true. I can't do any shows with them because they're all over the place, the three of them. <laughs> We'll get it sooner or later. It'll happen, you know, but it's 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 not easy. In fact, this record took me close to two years to do because they're all so busy and I, scheduling was was really very difficult, you know, to get it done. Tony is going to be 21. And the last tune she cut, she was 19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes jazz music is treated like the redheaded stepchild of the various genres. Why do you think jazz music matters? It matters. It's, it's basically American. It's, it's America. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's noted to be an American form of expression. The black musicians who, you know, I can't, I shouldn't just say black, but let's face it. It came from, Louis Armstrong and, you know, Sidney Bechet and John Coltrane, Charlie Parker. It's just a wealth, you know, Bud Powell, every single instrument, you know, you can, the jazz messengers, they're on the top of the game. They always have been. And, and musicians like, you know, Stan Getz and Chick Corea came along and, you know, it's, it's, it's really colorless. I shouldn't really define it, but you look today at Wynton Marcellus and Branford Marcellus. Joshua Redman. They're African-Americans. 
and it's basically a, a music that really comes from the african-american this is my take on it okay you know there might be people who are going to say come on what do you mean you know there's there's kenny g if you want to go to smooth jazz there's you know there's so much out there there's jerry mulligan there's stan gets i'm getting into a mixed bag now you know there's latin jazz but i think it matters because it's a form of expression that comes from the United States of America and, and uh, was born here. And, you know, it's blues based, it's root based, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a form of expression that has expanded or augmented the blues to an advanced level. You could say some of it is beyond the comprehension of a lot of listeners. And I get that. And, you know, I, but if you, if you go to a jazz show and you walk out and you say, wow, a lot of people will walk out and say, I didn't know that I could enjoy myself like this, you know, so much because it's not a strong vocal message. It's expression through improvisation. And that matters to me because, you know, someone who's playing a trumpet or a trombone or drums, piano, bass, you name it, there's jazz violinists you know it's a form of expression that's off the paper again and i think that matters because it comes from within the artist and it's an expression that is natural but you have to be schooled to pull it off so you do all the studying i mean a guy like winton marcellus he's a consummate classical trumpet player as well as jazz you know he took that classical background and now he said now i have the technique and the chops and believe me, there are jazz musicians who did not study classically, but they practiced so many hours that they become uh, attached to their instrument. And when you listen to that, it's pretty incredible. You know, it really is. I mean, I, to this day, I can go and I listen to saxophonists, trumpeters, and I'm like, I, I, I have a lot to learn. Listen to these guys, you know, young guys coming up too. They're, they're there. They're, they're knocking on the door of, hey, listen to me. And I love it. I'm so happy because I do, I do some clinics now and then, and I see college kids and high school kids that I can tell really have what it takes to be a great musician. And the problem is today that there's not as many places for them to play. And their proving ground becomes, it's very, very small compared to when I was young, you know, and I wish there was more opportunity for young musicians to play anyway that's my take on jazz i have two final questions one is is seemingly simple but i think it reveals a lot about a person i have to say <laughs> i've been wondering about this since you were talking about hey you didn't ask me what you smelled around the vivino house <laughs> what is your all-time favorite meal my all-time favorite meal. I'm a, I'm a foodaholic. I'm a foodie guy. I love everything. But I would say my all-time. Look at me. I can't really answer that too well. <laughs> I love everything. Well, Italian food is number one. But I'll tell you, Thai food is becoming a thing for me now. I would say uh, my mother's spaghetti and meatballs. How about that? <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I love Thai food, and yeah, you too? Oh, yeah. 
you know, I've been, as I told you before, I've been a little sick this week. Yeah. My wife and I, we, we just scarfed down some, uh, some curry. Okay. Oh, it was just the trick. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a mom and pop sushi, uh, sushi, a Thai place that my wife and I go to. And, um, there's two people in the kitchen, a husband and wife, and they're from Thailand and it's, it's great. I just, <laughs> you know, if you get the right place. It's very, very good. Yeah. It's it's taken Chinese. Up, it's on the back burner for me, Chinese food. <laughs> I'd rather have time. I applaud your honesty. <laughs> My last question. I always like to give the guest the canvas. Like, you can really, you can go anywhere you want. Totally open-ended. What would you say to our listeners? What would I say to my listeners? My listeners that listen to my music? Well, the listeners of this episode. The listeners of this episode? Huh? I can say anything I want to them? Yeah, so by that, by that, they are your listeners. <laughs> well, I would say this. Without you, I'd be nothing. And I, I love the fact that your ears are open, that you're embracing what not only what I have to say, but what I'm sure if you're listening to me, you're listening to many, many other artists. What, whatever the music may be, whether it's whether it's heavy metal or whether it's chamber music, I appreciate the fact that you're there. We need you to continue to listen. And some of you may not be musicians. You could just be music lovers. And I love that even more because, again, you know, stadiums concert for concerts are filled up by people that love music, CDs and, and streaming, whatever it may be depend on the listener actually saying, what is this? Let me check this out. And if you like it, maybe you tell someone else, hey, I found Jerry Vivino's CD called Coast to Coast or the Vivino Sisters DNA. You got to check it out. You know, that's how, that's where, where I respect the value of who my audience is. And, and you know, I, I, I embrace it with open arms and love and, and thank many thanks. It's about it. You know, without you, what's the point? We need people to listen to what we have to say, but as far as this show, I hope I didn't talk too much in circles and confuse anyone, but I'm having a ball and, and Paul, I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Oh, it's a big honor. Yeah. And all the listeners out there, they can check out jerryvivino.com, V-I-V-I-N-O. And Jerry, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Paul, thank you. All the best to you. And feel better, okay? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm getting Thai food. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> okay. Take all care. All right. Till next time. Thank you. Bye. The boop, bop, deep, bop, doodly, keep, bop, doodly, shop. Goodbye.